Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out in weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Hello, Elevation family. Good morning and welcome to this fifth Sunday of Lent. My name is Kristen Taylor, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my husband Dwayne and I and our two children, Noel and Nathan, have been a part of Elevation since 2015. And in 2018, our founding pastor, Brandon, invited me to join the teaching team. And so a few times a year, I have the privilege of coming and opening the scriptures with you. And I'm honored to be able to do that today on this fifth Sunday of Lent, as we're walking towards uh, Good Friday and Easter. And the scripture from the lectionary that we're going to be looking at today is Psalms 126, which is a psalm of ascent. It's a really nice, short, little psalm, but it's one of about 14 or 15 psalms from Psalms 120 to 134 that are called Psalms of Ascent. And what does it mean that it is a psalm or song of ascent? It means that it was a song that the early Jewish worshipers would have sung um, as traveling pilgrims, as they were making their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And they would do this three times a year for each of the major festivals and holidays. And this, this is one of the songs of ascent that they would sing. <clears throat> it's called ascent um, or in some translation called Song of the Stairs, uh, because the idea is that as they were moving towards Jerusalem on the pilgrimage, they'd be singing these psalms and they would constantly be making their way toward the uh, temple where they would then climb the steps of the temple singing these psalms. So uh, Song of the Stairs or Song of Ascent. And I couldn't help but note the striking parallel here uh, with why the lectionary curators may have chosen to put this psalm on the fifth Sunday of Lent, because of course Lent is the season in which we are traveling with Jesus on his pilgrimage toward Jerusalem and ultimately the cross. Uh, so next Sunday will be Palm Sunday. It will be the triumphal entry when Jesus does finally enter Jerusalem. And then of course the Sunday, the Friday after that, he makes his way to the cross. And then the next Sunday we have Easter. And so now on this fifth Sunday of Lent, we are just outside of the city gates. We're outside of Jerusalem with Jesus and his disciples. And we are singing this Psalm together as we make our way into Jerusalem. By the end of the sermon, we're going to consider what burdens we are carrying that we can leave at the cross to die uh, as we're on this pilgrimage toward the cross with Jesus, so that we can discover the new life uh, that Jesus provides for us on the other side of the cross. And of course, that's Easter, and we don't want to jump ahead. We'll get there, but, but let's begin now with this pilgrimage, and let's read Psalm 126 again together. And I, I want to read it from the Tree of Life version, which is a Messianic Jewish translation. <clears throat> I want to thank Mel Martin for putting me on to this translation. And if you aren't familiar with what with who Messianic Jews are, um, they are Jews who actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. So they have 
the history and the heritage and the legacy of the culture and the language of the, the Torah and the Old Testament. And they, they make that bridge and that gap over into the New Testament where they actually believe that Jesus is the one that was promised by Yahweh to come and save us from our sins. And so their translation, I think, is really uh, um, pertinent and, and just really lovely to see and hear how they handle the language of Psalms 126, a song of ascent. It goes like this. When Adonai, and Adonai is a Jewish word for God, it also meant Yahweh to them. So we might be more familiar with that word Yahweh, the creator. Uh, when Adonai, or creator, restored the captives of Zion, it was as if we were dreaming. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with a song of joy. And then they said among the nations, Adonai has done great things for them. Adonai has done great things for us. We are joyful. Restore us from captivity, Adonai, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with a song of joy. Whoever keeps going out weeping, carrying his bag of seed, will surely come back with a song of joy, carrying his sheaves. So Psalms are poetry. They're songs. They're poetry. And like all poetry, the Psalms invite us into an experience through imagery. And so I want to take some time today to look at three very striking images and some of the most famous images from this Psalm. And we're actually going to start at the end of the psalm, and we're going to work our way backwards to the beginning. And I want to start here with the image um, at, towards the end of the psalm of sowing in tears and going out weeping, uh, carrying a seed bag. So this is perhaps the most famous image in this particular psalm, that coupled with reaping with joy, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And when I told Mel Martin that we would be looking at Psalms 126 together and she read it, she immediately <laughs> left me a voice note singing to me a Mennonite hymn, an old Mennonite hymn called Bringing in the Sheaves. And the chorus says, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, which you can just really see how this connects to the imagery in this psalm. And she was sort of giggling as she was... <laughs> explaining it to me she said who other than a Mennonite farming community would sing would even know what sheaves are let alone write a hymn and sing a hymn about sheaves uh, but of course Mennonite farmers are very close uh, culturally to the agricultural community of these early worshipers who would have been singing Psalms 126 but also in Jesus's day would have been walking with Jesus on the road toward Jerusalem so as I was reading the psalm, and, and I was really struck by this image of sowing in tears, I found myself wondering, why is this farmer sowing in tears? And in my imagination, I thought, well, you know, maybe it's been a very lean summer the summer before, and they didn't get much of a harvest. And, and then that has led them into winter where uh, it's a harsh winter, and they don't have enough food to get through, and they maybe have to eat their seed grain, um, but they can't eat all of it because they have to save some of it for replanting. And so the, the farmer is hungry, there's scarcity, there's, the family is weary and, and hungry. And so this farmer is sowing in tears, hoping against hope for a plentiful harvest that can nourish their stomachs and their hearts. Well, of co course, in this season of Lent, 
as we're journeying with Jesus toward the cross, we know that Jesus is familiar with sorrow and with sowing in tears. His journey toward the cross means that he understands our pain. He can walk with us in the midst of our grief and our sorrows and our tears. So in fact, in Isaiah 53, uh, 3, the prophet Isaiah um, is prophesying and speaking about Jesus. He doesn't use the name Jesus, but we know that he's prophesying about the Savior, uh, the Messiah who's to come. And so he says he, Jesus, was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. And, and of course, we can see this in Jesus' journey to the cross and the passion of the Christ as he's taking his way towards um, his execution. We know that Jesus is familiar with sorrow, with suffering, with pain, um, isolation, and rejection. Um, and, and we know that we can invite him into and, and walk with us through that suffering and that pain. Um, this reminded me um, this last week about a story with our daughter, our oldest, Noelle, who's 14. And um, I got her permission to share this story with you. But Noelle has juvenile arthritis. And uh, from time to time when she has flare-ups, uh, part of how she has to um, deal with that is through injections. And these are not your run-of-the-mill injections like a vaccine injection. They're a little bit more involved and can be quite painful, depending on what joint um, they're in. And she unfortunately has had um, a pretty difficult experience with one of her early injections and it was very painful for her. And so as we were headed back to McMaster Children's Hospital this last week for her to have another injection, um, I could tell that she was trying to be brave. She was trying to be stoic and put on a courageous face, but she was really, I could tell on the inside, she was, she was very frightened. And um, so as we're driving, I just took the opportunity to ask her. I said, Noelle, how are you doing? We began to talk about it. Uh, I invited her to share how she was feeling, talk a little bit about how she was preparing to face the pain and the procedure. And I shared this with her, that one of the things that moves me most about Jesus is that he's a suffering Messiah, that he uh, knows and is acquainted with um, our human pain and even though I can't always understand why there's pain in the world, uh, I know that Jesus is able to meet us in our pain and walk with us. And so I, I said, you know, Noel, do you want to invite Jesus to come meet you in the middle of this process and walk with you through it? And she said, yeah. And so we spent some time praying for the procedure that it wouldn't just be me in the room supporting her and the doctors, but also the presence of Jesus would be there too not just meeting her in moments of joy, but meeting her in moments of pain and sorrow too. And so I wanna to say to you, friends, do you know that Jesus can meet you in your pain and walk with you? Uh, do you want to invite him into those places and, and feel his presence accompany you and be close to you through that because you can? And I encourage you this week, when you have a quiet moment, to turn your heart outward and invite Jesus, the risen Jesus, uh, to come and meet you in those moments of pain. So Jesus can meet us in our suffering. He can walk with us through our suffering, but that's not all he can do, and that's not all he will do. And this is the journey of Lent towards Easter, what we are living into. 
is the reality that because of Jesus's death on the cross and because he rose from the dead on the other side, Jesus is able to also take our sorrow upon himself and bring us out the other side as a new creation where sowing is not in tears, but we are reaping in joy, which is the other famous imagery of the Psalms. So as we see at the end of the Psalms that um, those who sow in tears will reap with a song of joy. Whoever keeps going out weeping, carrying the seed bag, will surely come back with a song of joy, carrying the sheaves. And <clears throat> this is something that the Mennonite farming community would also know right along with our early worshipers in the Psalms, is that when a seed dies, it comes up as a harvest on the other side. It comes up as new life. And, and this is the imagery uh, that Jesus used when he was journeying with his disciples to predict his death on the cross. He says in John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And so this is the reality of Lent. The reality of Lent is that Jesus is the seed that we're going to bury in the ground on Good Friday, but by whose death there is made new life on the other side when he also raises, um, when he raises from the, the grave. Uh, this reminds me of the Stations of the Cross. So before we um, went into this pandemic, I think it was like for three years in a row, maybe we actually did an interactive Stations of the Cross in the gym where there was, I think, 15 stations. And at each station, we would have an image and a reflection and some kind of interactive, um, tangible object or, or activity. And for Station 12, Station 12 is the moment when Jesus, right after he has died, when Jesus is being taken down off the cross, and so, of course, we had actually this verse, uh, John 12, 24, that I just read to you of where Jesus says he is the kernel of wheat that's going to be planted in the soil and die, but, but will bring new life. And so that was the verse to, uh, that we encouraged uh, people walking through the Stations of the Cross to contemplate. And then we had a big grain uh, bag, bag of, of, of grain, and we encourage people to run their fingers through the, vein, the grain and to feel it as they were reflecting on John 12, 24. And then at the end of the reflection on every station, there was this prayer, uh, and the prayer says, we adore you, O Christ, and we bless you because your holy cross, because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. What does it mean that Jesus is our Redeemer? It's not just that Jesus can walk with us in our sorrows on the journey to the cross. It's that because of the cross, Jesus takes those sorrows, our guilt, our shame, our pain, into himself, and it all dies with him on the cross. So that on Easter, when he raises from the grave, we too raise from the grave of our bondage, the grave of our captivity, our burdens, and we are given a new heart. We are made a new creation. This is the joy and the laughter of the imagery in the psalm. 
when it says in the verses at the end of the psalm, they will reap with a song of joy. They'll come back with a song of joy. This is the joy uh, that the death of a seed is not the end of the story. The death of Jesus is not the end of the story. And our guilt, shame, sin, pain is not the end of the story. That there is on the other side of the cross a plentiful harvest. There's a life to be had beyond that. Um, when I was talking about this, the sermon with uh, Doug Martin, who's on the theological discernment and ministry team with me, is a retired pastor, a part of our congregation. We were discussing this sermon. I just love how he put it. He says, bringing our sin and pain and sorrow to the cross is not a psychological fancy, but a cosmic reality in which all of our suffering is redeemed through Jesus's work. And we are brought into the kingdom of a joyful harvest and flowing streams. Amen and amen. And of course, this imagery of flowing streams, this is the third image that I see in the Psalms that really jumps out at me. If we go back and we look at the beginning of this, this Psalm, it is of overwhelmingly of joy, exuberant, abundant joy. Uh, Yahweh has restored his people. He's set them free. He's healed them. He's brought them home out of captivity, brought them home. And it is better than their wildest dreams. Verse one says, it was as if we were dreaming. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that when you were maybe hoping for something and then it happened and it was like better than you ever could have imagined. Uh, this reminds me of a time when Dwayne and I were living in Los Angeles and at the time, we were there in the mid-2000s to late-2000s. And I don't know if you recall, there was a show on TV called Extreme Makeover Home Edition, where a team would come in and they would select a worthy family and then they would completely renovate their home. And it just so happened that Extreme Makeover Home Edition chose a family that we were connected to um, through our church. And this, in this family, the mother was a young mother. She had been diagnosed with stage four cancer and she would eventually um, lose the battle to cancer. Uh, but they had two young boys. And so Extreme Makeover came in to renovate the home, to make it uh, more accessible for her and her treatments, and also um, to make it more beautiful. And I'll just, it was just so remarkable seeing the before and after the house. I mean, it's just so, those shows are so moving when you see people's expression. Um, and in that TV show, they would, they would have people lined up on the street, friends and family, and you cheer as they would be brought in the limousine and then sort of like the blindfolds would be taken off. And then you watch them walk through the house and you just see they can hardly even register what they're seeing. It is so beyond their wildest dreams. It's mind boggling. Well, the reality of God's love and work and the worshipers' lives in this psalm is so gobsmacking that they can't help but laugh and sing. It's, it's so amazing, amazing that the nations around them are like, whoa, God is doing something amazing for them. And they say, yes, Adonai has been faithful to us. Look what God has done for us. This reminds me of Another verse from Isaiah 43, 19 through 21, where the prophet Isaiah is speaking in the voice of Yahweh, and he says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. 
And of course, this is exactly the same imagery we see in verse 4 of Psalm 126, where they say, um, you know, set us free from captivity like streams in the Negev. The Negev was an arid, dry desert just on the outside of Jerusalem. And so to have streams in the desert um, was remarkable, right? To bring life out of the, the, the sort of the dryness of the desert or um, the emptiness of the desert. And this is the imagery that the psalmists use to talk about the work that God wants to do in our lives and the lives of the pilgrims who are on their way to Jerusalem. Um, he wants to bring new life that is so incredible and remarkable and full that it just, it's, it's better than your wildest dreams. And so what I want to ask you today, friends, is do you know that God wants to do a work in your life through the cross and through Jesus and his work on the cross that is so amazing that it's better than your wildest dreams? Do you know that Yahweh wants to bring streams into the desert of your life? Well, that new life is Easter, and we're going to get there, but it's still two weeks away. So on this fifth Sunday of Lent, we're still taking the journey with Jesus toward Jerusalem, and the horizon is still pierced with the silhouette of the cross, and we're still heading toward Good Friday and death. And at this point, another voice joins us on the road, on the journey, on this pilgrimage towards Jerusalem. There's another person, and it is the person of Paul and his voice. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, which is another one of our lectionary readings for this week, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Well, what is Paul talking about here? What does he mean he wants to become like Christ in his death? Paul knows that before we can get to the new life that Jesus has for us, there are parts of us, there are burdens we are carrying that need to be sown with tears into the ground and that need to die and need to, to break open to make room for new life through Jesus. Do we have fear? Do we have shame? Do we have guilt? Do we have resentment? Do we have ego? Do we have greed? Do we have selfishness? These things that we carry are weighing us down on this pilgrimage toward Jerusalem and the cross with Jesus during Lent and every day of our lives. These things need to die so that we can live through Jesus on the other side of Easter. So here's my question for you, friends. What burden are you carrying here on this fifth Sunday of Lent that you want to leave at the foot of the cross to die with Jesus so that you can know the overwhelming, wildest dreams, joy of new life through Jesus' resurrection. We're going to take a moment to reflect. And we're going to have some instrumental music playing in the background here on this virtual service. And I would just encourage you to take some time, maybe get out a journal, a piece of paper and a pen, and begin to jot down what burdens are you carrying. Imagine that we are on the pilgrimage this week and next week with Jesus toward Good Friday, toward the cross, what are you carrying that you would like to leave at the foot of the cross to let die? So that we, so that you can know the new life, the streams in the desert, wildest dreams life 
that God has for you through Jesus on the other side. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the gift of the Psalms and these songs of ascent. Thank you, Jesus, that you walk this pilgrimage with us because you took that journey to the cross so many centuries ago. Thank you, Jesus, that you are not only acquainted with our pain and our sorrow and our grief and our hurt and our sin, but you are able to, because of the cross, take it into yourself and transform it into new life if we will just believe in you. I ask today, Jesus, for everybody who is a part of our beautiful family, who is hearing these words, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to their heart and that you would help them lift the burden that's on their back and lay it at the foot of the cross uh, over these next two weeks. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.